Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode is Season 3, Part 11, Out of Town. What's going on in Las Vegas and South Dakota? Moving on to the FBI in South Dakota. We have no material in Yankton. In Buckhorn, the FBI and Mackley and Hastings arrive at an abandoned lot. It's kind of a cool location, probably somewhere in L.A., but I guess it works for, you know, somewhere in the in the detritus of the Great Plains. And uh, it's all fenced in, all these abandoned sheds and the house and stuff like that. And uh, Tammy goes over to the car where Hastings is with Mackley and questions him about what happened there the night that he and Ruth, uh, you know, had their experience with the Major. Gordon goes inside and he has this strange encounter. I'll talk about that in the lodge lore section, but he's waving his hands around. Of course, we get this one wide shot where it's just very quiet and everyone's watching him as he waves his hands and and they aren't seeing what he's seeing. After uh, Albert kind of retrieves him, thinking that he might be going a little too far, they spot a corpse and it's a woman's body with the head cut off. It's obviously Ruth and they get photos of her arm, which has coordinates written on it. Meanwhile, Diane is, lo- is staring at the Hastings and Mackley car and watching as uh, Hastings starts to tremble and his head explodes, which freaks out Mackley, understandably. Later in the police office, Gordon's uh, hand is shaking. Albert shows the coordinates to Gordon and seems a little bit uncomfortable with showing them to Diane. She's just sitting there watching and she mouths the coordinates. This is, of course, after they've started to suspect she's up to something. She's got some ulterior motive, so... Uh, Albert seems to really want to just share this information with Gordon, and uh, I don't know if Gordon's quite getting it. Like it's 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 almost like Albert's trying to speak to him in code, and and Gordon's a little clueless about it, which is interesting. I'm not sure why. Maybe he just wants Diane to see this info or something. I, I don't know. It's it's an odd scene to read. I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. Albert starts to explain that the coordinates are lead to Washington State, and uh, you know it's implicit that it's probably Twin Peaks that they're leading to. And then uh, Mackley and Tammy come in with donuts and coffee and everybody's eating and talking about what they saw and what they didn't see at this crime scene. And Diane asks Mackley if she can smoke and he's a little resistant, but he gives her permission. She asks very nicely this time after the first time where she screams and yells and swears at him. This time she's just like, I could really, I really could use a cigarette right now. It would feel so good. And he's like, ah, smoke them if you got them. So, in this whole sequence, there's a few things to note. One is Hastings' head when it's crushed by the woodsman. It looks a lot like Sam and Tracy's heads where they were, uh, whatever happened, eaten or whatever happened to them. Uh, in the sense that like, it looks like they just took the head and then animated it out or something. I don't know. if Maybe it is a sculpture. I think Ruth is a sculpture. I'm not sure what exactly is going on with, with Hastings' head. It, it looks like it was sort of cleanly cut off by like a... After Effects or something, I mean, you know, whatever higher tech effects program they have than that, obviously. There's no Mr. C storyline this week. We haven't seen him since early part nine. In Las Vegas, with the Dougie storyline in The Office, uh, that's really strongly overlapping with the Mitchums plot this week. Uh, In The Office, Bushnell tells Cooper Dougie that he has solved the arson case that the Mitchums were involved in, figured out it wasn't arson, they're going to get $30 million back, and he's happy because he pulled out another uh, policy on this one. So they're actually not losing any money on this. So he's just thrilled all around, and he gives Dougie the check and says, you know, he's going to bring it to the Mitchums. He's arranged a meeting, and and uh, uh, everything's going to be fine, basically. There's no material for Dougie's home life this week. Uh, we do actually get a little 
reprise of the debt storyline where he met Lady Slots Attic, the old lady in the casino who, as he was getting the money to, to take care of his debt, he also ended up helping her and she won a few slots. So she shows up it's just really elegant in this evening gown and all this jewelry at the Italian restaurant where he is with the Mitchums at the end of the episode. And her son is in tow and she tells him she's got a little doggy. She's reunited with her son, tells the Mitchums that Dougie's a very special man and that he saved her life. And I've seen people highlighting this recently on Twitter and talking about how moving and touching it is. And it's true, there is a, a sort of a sweet sense to it. But it's also so ridiculous and I think we can't quite forget that. I don't know how entirely seriously we should take the storyline uh this idea that you know by helping this this that somebody just needed to find this magical person help them you know to gamble correctly and now all this good stuff is back in their life which is a very materialist message and also if her son had abandoned her and now he's back in her life because she won money i don't know that her she should want much to do with her son but nonetheless you know you can't quite take it on that level of sincerity. I think you have to just view it as sort of a warm, almost cartoonish situation where the emotions are genuine, even if the material itself is kind of ridiculous. And I think Lynch and Frost just handle that type of thing perfectly throughout the Dougie storyline, where if we took something too seriously at face value, it would be not necessarily a great message and not certainly not necessarily a logical chain of events, but they treat it at just the right distance that it has an emotional resonance while also just being goofy and fun and cartoonish. And the assassination plot this week is entirely overlapped with the Mitchums because they've been turned into temporarily agents of Duncan Todd and Mr. C and Anthony by those those characters telling them that Dougie was the one who cheated them and that spurs them to want to kill him. So those two plot lines, for this episode at least, are completely in tandem. That brings us to the Mitchums, which is the big... Uh, story section of the Las Vegas story section this week. We see them eating breakfast at their house. I'm not sure if it's like a part of the casino or their own separate house. I think it's their own separate house. It just seems detached. Bradley just had a dream about Dougie. He doesn't say what it is at this point, but he can't wait to kill him. He's just really impatient. Rodney's like, well, hey, can you can you wait three hours? Um, Dougie is waylaid, meanwhile, at the office as they're going off to meet the Mitchums. He enters into Simons, or Simons, I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, to get something mysterious, and then he walks off with a box. With him and Bushnell, he gets into the limo, which is supposedly going to take him to Santino's, an Italian restaurant. Uh, but of course, it's going to take him to the desert instead, where the Mitchums are supposed to kill him. As he's saying goodbye, Bushnell says, knock him dead, and gives a little old boxer's punch. And Cooper, interestingly, grabs his mouth, his own mouth, and holds it and says dead or knock him dead or something he repeats the part of a part of the line and there's an obvious connection here to mr c in part two where he takes uh, that guy jack's mouth and starts massaging it and then we learn later that jack has died so is this a moment of psychic connection and association between the two coopers i i like to think so there's a nice little mellow drive down the uh, las vegas strip with sean colvin's viva las vegas playing just this really oddly uh, relaxed segue into what supposedly is going to be the Mitchums killing Dougie. And of course, that's not going to happen. I think we're already really being set up to see that this is going to go in a positive, more lighthearted direction. And that's, again, an interesting contrast with the rest of the episode. The whole episode was so tense for the first half hour, and now we have this plot actually involving a supposedly murder of our protagonist, and yet there's sort of a relaxed calm air to it where some it's going to go in another direction altogether there's a hard cut from the vegas strip to the desert 
the music keeps playing. Then there's a hard cut where the music's cut off mid-lyric, and the Mitchums are just sitting in the car. Bradley's getting antsy. He keeps talking about the dream he had, and uh, that it involved Dougie, but won't quite say yet what it was. And he says that in the dream, Rodney's cut was healed. So he pulls the Band-Aid off his brother's face, and sure enough, Rodney's cut is gone, and they're wondering what's going on with this. So Dougie Cooper arrives. He is pushed out of the car by the limo driver standing there holding a box. And Bradley says if something's in the box, they have to let him live. So they check out what it is. It's exactly what it was supposed to be, which we'll talk about in an upcoming section. And uh, as, as Bradley pats Dougie down, they fi- he finds the check for $30 million. And now he's just thrilled. I think I might have called it $30,000 earlier, but no, it's it's $30 million. Bradley and Rodney rejoice. They just celebrate out in the desert, whooping and hollering. And they're you know, not just going to let Dougie live. They're now going to re- rejoice and toast him and treat him like a king. So they take him to Santino's. They uh, feed him a bunch of pie. They talk about getting a gym set for his son. And uh, Candy, Sandy, and Mandy arrive. And Candy goes on some strange ramble about traffic, just like she did earlier about weather. And meanwhile, a pianist is playing in the background, alternating between a sort of comical romp type of music and something more plaintive and poignant and slow. Humorously, the Mitchums get up at 2.23 in the afternoon and... (laughs) This is an odd bit. We'll talk about this in the chronology section a little because there's something a little, there's a little bit of a discrepancy here, I think, perhaps. But yeah, they're in their bathrobes. They're eating cereal. They're talking about dreams. But yet we look at the clock. It's 2.23. It's three hours from their evening meeting with Cooper. So I guess they just had a really late night. Uh, in this sequence where they're in the desert about to kill Cooper... There's a sense of like the gangster movie meeting the Western. Not that you don't have these desert scenes. Certainly Casino has a lot of the scenes where they take the people on the desert and they beat them or they kill them or whatever. But just something about the showdown nature, the way they're standing there facing off against each other like 40 or 50 feet apart, just certainly has a Western showdown air to it. And of course, you've got the sort of the Pueblos in the background, the little, um, you know, ruins of different uh, old houses and things like that so you're getting a really western milieu and there's a few points in this season where you get that actually i guess this is the closest lynch has ever come to directing a western as parts of the return this is the episode in which i think the mitchums fully become the classic wacky goofy lynch frost type characters in a classic goofy lynch frost situation i'm thinking particularly of on the air of their screenplay one saliva bubble which i've linked before where you have like a gangster character who's just broad and over the top and goofy. This is, I think, in some ways, their first chance to really explore this type of character and situation in a way that they'd never really gotten to do before. I mean, certainly season two has a lot of wackiness in Twin Peaks, but they're not the ones doing it a lot of the time, so it falls kind of flat. Which isn't to say, you know, this... this type of humor isn't necessarily for everyone and even on the page I think when I was reading Once Alive a Bubble I was like this isn't that funny but with the performers with Lynch directing they really managed to pull it off and it's just a really delightful bit and I think the Mitchums became many people's among their favorite characters with this episode a little bit in the previous one there's a lot of funny stuff there but there they're still sort of the foils you know they're the hard-boiled muttering gangsters who even if they're funny are still the bad guys and now they actually kind of become good guys or at least they seem to be. The limo driver, by the way, has a surprising amount of screen time in the series, in the series, based largely on this episode and his part in part four. I think those are the only two he's in. And he's almost 
has 10 minutes of screen time, which almost would have put him into my character series where I'm doing the studies for every character who has 10 or more minutes of screen time. He doesn't quite reach that level, but I think he's uh, the second runner-up just because of all the time he's standing there in the background watching them. And it's hilarious how he doesn't seem at all concerned. Like, he's like, hey, it's you, the guy I brought to the Red Door. Oh, that's great. I'm going to drive you off to be killed now. And obviously he knows something's going to happen because he's driving him into the desert. He says he's going to Santino's Italian restaurant, and instead, you know, he drives him off into this isolated spot where two men are waiting with guns, and he doesn't seem alarmed at all. And then, you know, he just drives him off to uh, Santino's without being, you know, surprised about that either. Just all in a day's work, I guess, for a, uh, for a limo driver for a bunch of gangsters. One last observation about this bit is we've had an episode with uh, at least a couple incidents, uh, well, many incidents of violence and at least a couple specifically with guns, where we had Becky firing into the door and then the gun firing through the double R diner window. And so it's kind of nice to have this moment where uh, the gun is actually overcome by the positive force of, well, might as well say it now, pie. But we'll discuss that more in the coffee, pie, and donuts section. A storyline has disappeared from the uh, Las Vegas location, uh, even though it actually wasn't even taking place in the Las Vegas location anymore. That's Jade and the key. Jade finding the key in the car, sending it in the mail, and Ben receiving it at the Great Northern. So the last time we saw this plot, it actually was in the town of Twin Peaks, and now it just hasn't been featured for at least, uh, well, for four episodes of Absence. So we can put it on the back burner for now. Maybe it'll come back, but we don't need to mention its absence every week because it's been pretty consistently absent. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also support this work on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Tomorrow, we continue with part 11, looking at what's going on in Twin Peaks, in the town. See you then. 